1: Bingo.
0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. The following program is sponsored by
2: the National Prayer Chapel.
1: RevivalNow.Church dot church.
2: Revival in Woodbridge. RevivalNow.Church dot church. Revival in Woodbridge.
1: RevivalNow.Church church.
2: Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. We need to go into deep water today. We need to talk about the essentials of the gospel. We cannot simply assume that we are saved. We can't simply ride on some pastor's coattail and say, because I believe what he believes, I'm saved. It won't work for you. God has no grandchildren. Every one of you are personally responsible for your actions. I received a text message. I want to share it with you. I'm not going to give you the I'm not going to give you the name of the person who sent this but I want to give you what he wrote, and then I want to give to you my answer to him. He texts me after yesterday. He said, Turns out I've been grossly irresponsible in pretty much everything I've touched, and I am accountable, responsible for all of my actions. I wrote back to him, The seed of integrity is growing in your heart. When I began to take responsibility for all of my actions, that's when Jesus became serious with me and began to answer my prayers. The problem that I recognize we are having is that most of us in America have been unwilling to be honest about our accountability before God. We have sentimentalized the gospel. We've believed that it was enough to say, I love Jesus. We've believed that it was enough for me to be the best person I could be. I know of men who are not Christians, who believe that when they die, they are going to go to a much better place, a paradise, if you please, And when I press them on, why would you think you are going there? Their answer is, everyone is going to a better place. Well, how do you know that everyone is going to a better place? Because I simply know it in my heart. And and they would reply to me, I am an honest man. I treat everyone with respect. I do all I can to take care of my wife and my children. Ray, I'm a good man. And so, of course, I'm going to go to a much better place when I die. All of that is simply sentimentalism. It has no basis in reality. If you say to me, I love Jesus, therefore I'm going to heaven, how do you know that? Does your heart tell you that? And what if your heart is lying to you? You see, there must be a a much more firm basis upon which we believe than simply our heart tells us something. Our heart is deceptive and exceedingly evil. I cannot trust my heart. I do trust the word of the living God. And the word of God is the measure against all of my actions to determine whether they are righteous or unrighteous. Now, I, I want to go back to the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, edited by C.J. Lovick. Of course, John Bunyan wrote this book back in the 1600s, and it's been in continuous publication ever since. I want to show you today, in Bunyan, a death trap, a death trap. You remember, if you listened yesterday, we were speaking about the man, the young man, called Stubborn Ignorance. They're walking in company with him on the road. And they're pressing him on where he stands with God. Where he stands in relationship to Jesus. And his position is that his heart tells him that he is a good man. His heart tells him that he is loved by Jesus. And Christian says, then ask your heart if I am a thief. Your heart may tell you that I am a thief, but that does not make it so. Unless the word of God bears witness in this matter, no other testimony is of value. But is it not a good heart that has good thoughts? And isn't a good life one that is lived according to God's commandments? Oh, yes, a good heart has good thoughts, and a good life is one lived according to God's commandments, Christian agreed, adding. But it is one thing indeed to have these, and another thing to only think you have these. So Ignorance said, Please tell me what you consider to be good thoughts and a life lived according to God's commandments. And Christian replied, there are good thoughts pertaining to different things, some with respect to ourselves, some in respect to God, Christ, and other things. Now, what are you saying are good thoughts in relation to ourselves? Christian answered, such as agree with the word of God. This is a very important base that he's building that I'm reviewing for you today. Because you will not understand what I will be saying to you about the gospel if you don't come in agreement with me that everything must be judged by the word of God. See, it is not, as I've said before, whether you accept Jesus. The question is, will Jesus accept you? Now, Christian explains. We think rightly of ourselves when we pass the same judgment upon ourselves that the word passes. To explain myself more fully, the word of God says of persons in a natural condition, I want you to catch that, a natural condition, that is an unsaved, unregenerate condition, there is none righteous, there is none that doeth good that every imagination of the heart of man is only evil and that continually. And again, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now then, when we think these thoughts of ourselves, our thoughts are good ones because they agree with the word of God. Ignorance insisted, but no, I will never believe that my heart is that bad. And of course, Bunyan is simply quoting, Parts of the third chapter of the book of Romans, where it says in verse 10, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is not even one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Remember in the book of Genesis the story of Adam and Eve falling. It was a serpent that tempted them. And we're told in Revelation, the 12th chapter, that that serpent is also the dragon. A dragon is a kind of serpent. We know that the devil was a seraphim before he fell. The serpent like military order of angels, the most powerful of God's creation. And Lucifer was the head, he was in charge of the seraphim. So, this seraph, this serpent, when Adam and Eve fell, we became in the likeness of the serpent we lost the glory of God. They were naked, they recognized it, and they were ashamed. That is the condition of the serpent. And so Adam and Eve and all of his children were descendants now as children of the devil with a serpent's tongue with the poison of vipers on their lips, mouths full of cursing and bitterness, feet swift to shed blood. You say, oh, pastor, I don't shed blood. You believe in abortion? That's shedding blood. You sit and watch murder on television? You approve of it? You enjoy watching the violence? That's bloodshed. Jesus said, if you're angry, you are a murder, and that is bloodshed. Have you been angry and bitter? Then you're a murder. In the eyes of God, you're a murder. It's a small step from being angry with someone to murdering someone. In Jesus' eyes, they're the same thing. Look at Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. But ignorance is saying, absolutely no, that's not who I am. So he will not come in agreement with Scripture regarding who he is. And he says, I will never believe that. Christian says, therefore, you have never had one good thought concerning yourself In your entire life. In other words, you are utterly deceived regarding your real condition. But then he says, Let's go on. As the Word passes judgment upon our hearts, so it passes judgment upon our ways. When the thoughts concerning our hearts and ways agree with the judgment that the Word gives of both, then are both thoughts good because they agree with the Word of God. Now tell me what you mean, Ignorance said. Well, the Word of God says that man's ways are crooked ways, not good, but perverse. It says that man is naturally opposed to the good way and cannot know it. Now, when a man knows in his head and humbly believes with all of his heart that the Word is right and that his ways are not good and that he has good thoughts regarding his own ways because his thoughts now agree with the judgment of the Word of God, what are good thoughts concerning God? Ignorant ask. Well, just as our thoughts of ourselves are good when they agree with the Word of God, so are they good thoughts concerning God when they agree with what the Word says of Him. We must agree with the Word when it teaches us about the attributes of God. Now, He says, in reference to ourselves, we have right thoughts about God when we understand that he knows us better than we know ourselves and can see the sin in us when we can see none. I can remember reading the passage of Scripture and Jesus came preaching repentance. And I meditated on that and I finally said, But Jesus, I can't see any sin in my life. What sins am I committing? He was gracious enough to answer that question, and I was utterly undone because I began to see myself the way He saw me, and my heart was crushed. He continues, Our thoughts concerning God are good when we understand that he knows our innermost thoughts and that our heart, with all of its depths, is always clearly seen by him. Our thoughts about God are good when we think that all our righteousness stinks in his nostrils and that therefore he cannot stand to see us come before him in our own confidence, even with our best performances. Ignorance asks, Do you think that I am such a fool as to think God can see no further than I, or that I come to God in the confidence of my best performance? So what do you think on this matter? Christian asked back, and Ignorance replied, To be short, I think I must believe in Christ for justification. How is it that you think you must believe in Christ when you do not see your need of him? You neither see your original nor actual sin. You have an opinion of yourself and of your deeds that puts you in a category of men who sees no necessity for Christ's personal righteousness to justify you before God. How can you say that you believe in Christ? Ignorance insisted, in spite of what you say, I believe. But, said Christian, what do you believe? I believe that Christ died for sinners, and that I shall be justified before God from the curse through his gracious acceptance of my obedience to his law. I believe that Christ makes my religious duties acceptable to his Father by virtue of his merits, and so shall I be justified. Well, obviously, he doesn't have any understanding of what the gospel is. Never will our actions justify us before God. Salvation is a free gift. But now, please, Lord Jesus, would you open the minds of every person listening to this broadcast? Lord, I don't know how to make this plain. And it's so vital. And it's the turning point. It's the key to salvation. Lord, help us to be able to see beyond what we think we know. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. I was with a group of Christian men last night. They invited me to a meeting that they hold on Saturday morning, and I agreed that I would come. And one of the men said to me, You remember now exactly how he worded it. He said, you believe that we are justified freely by Jesus. I said, yes, I believe we are justified freely by Jesus. But, and he interrupted me and he said, no, no, pastor. We are either justified freely or we are not justified freely. There can be no buts. And, of course, he was absolutely right. Unfortunately, we were talking about two totally different things. He was saying, when Jesus died on the cross, he forgave me for my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. Salvation is a free gift to me. I now possess it because... Christ's personal righteousness covers me. That's what he was saying. And I was saying, but wait a minute, let's let's be clear about the word justify and let's be clear about what its meaning is. Now here is the great difficulty that we have. And it's a It's a difficulty that I don't know how to help you through except by talking about it from every angle I know how to talk about it from. If you believe that you are justified freely by Jesus with your past, present, and future sins forgiven, then you have been vaccinated against the true gospel of Jesus and you will go to hell. Let's put it right there, straight as I can put it. If you believe that you are justified freely by Jesus, by his shed blood, and your past, present, and future sins are all forgiven, and that you're saved, the fact is you are lost and you cannot go to heaven. Because it will mean that you have not dealt with the depth of your sin and you have not been regenerated and there is no salvation possible without regeneration. Now some of you quickly are saying, Pastor, what does the word regeneration mean? If I have my arm cut off, and then the arm is regenerated, it means that the arm grows back, and now I have a fully functioning arm. That is the definition of regeneration. My arm grows back. When Adam and Eve sinned, they came under the devil's power. They became, shall I put it bluntly, They became, according to 1 John, the third chapter, they became children of the devil. And every one of us born after that became children of the devil. Now, if you believe that by some sentimental saying of a sinner's prayer that you are now saved and you can go on and live your life, you have been deceived you are now operating in the realm of the sentimental. You are believing what your heart is telling you and what others have taught you. But you are not in agreement with the Word of God. Now, I'm going to read a short ways further to open this up a little bit more. And then we're going to go to the Word of God and I'm going to show you exactly what I'm saying to you. How is it that you think that you must believe in Christ when you do not see your need for him? You neither see your original nor actual actual sin. You have an opinion of yourself and of your deeds that puts you in a category of men who sees no necessity for Christ's personal righteousness to justify you before God. And then I read that ignorance believes that he does righteous things and that makes him okay with God. It's legalism that ignorance believes. But let's go back now and look at what Bunyan is teaching. He says, let me discuss your confession of faith. First, you believe with a fantasy faith, for this faith is nowhere described in the Word. You also believe with a false faith that takes justification away from the personal righteousness of Christ and credits it to you. The faith you describe makes Christ a justifier of your actions and not of your person. And you see, what I'm going to tell you is that Jesus Christ is a justifier of both my person and my actions. And if your actions are not a reflection of of the righteousness of Jesus if he has not made you righteous. Now, let's be very clear. I am not saying what ignorance is saying. I'm not saying that you must do righteous acts and now those righteous acts count toward your justification. I'm not saying that. Let's be very clear. I am not speaking legalism. I am saying that when Jesus Christ Comes and justifies you, he makes you righteous, he changes both your past and your present. And now you live under the blood of Jesus, and there is an availability of his blood to forgive any future sin based on your repentance and your returning to Jesus. And that is an ongoing day by day walk of having been transformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, Bunyan is going to teach and is teaching that the personal righteousness of Jesus gives us access to heaven, and then because we are saved, we want to do what is right, and so now we are going to do the best we can to be righteous. I want to suggest to you that that theology is also legalism. That John Calvin's doctrine of justification is legalism. It is legalism. And in the modern church today, in the Presbyterian church, in many Baptist churches, and in many other fellowships, they want to come with all kinds of workshops and seminars and teach you Strategies for successful living because they say if you don't, you will lose rewards in heaven. That is legalism. That is earning a portion of your reward in heaven. That is legalism. What I want you to hear today is that there are There are issues involved that are very difficult for us to grasp because of the lying sentimentality that has caused us to not have to deal with the vileness of our sin and not caused us to have to deal with the desperate need for total regeneration in our lives and to be, as John Wesley put it, to be entirely sanctified. This false theology has allowed us to coast, believing we are saved, but we're struggling with our sin, and and you can never overcome your sin, they say. So, you know, Jesus understands you're doing the best you can do. That's all you can do. That is legalism, and it will take you to hell. You cannot be saved in that condition. Let me go on, and I'll show you what I mean, and then... If we have time today, we'll go to Scripture. If not tomorrow, true justifying faith, this is Bunyan now, makes the soul aware of its lost condition under the law. He is correct. The soul that comes to the righteousness of Christ for refuge and understands that it is Christ's righteousness alone that is acceptable to God, he is correct. Only Christ's righteousness is acceptable to God. None of my righteousness will earn me any righteous standing before God. But what's not being said is that Christ's righteousness is not something that covers over me, it is something that totally transforms me. See, if you go to Hebrews, the ninth chapter, it will talk about the blood of bulls and goats. And in the Old Covenant, the blood of bulls and goats could only cover over a man's sin. It could not remove his sin. It was not until Jesus died on Calvary that man had his sin removed. All of Abram's sin remained until Jesus died on the cross. All of King David's sin, his sin with Bathsheba, remained on the books, covered by the blood of bulls and goats and lambs until Jesus died on Calvary, and then they were all erased. But understand that in the New Covenant, the blood of Jesus is not like the blood of bulls and goats. The Reformed teachers teach that the blood of Jesus has no more value than that of of the blood of a bull or a goat, and they are defaming, they are putting down the name of Jesus and his precious blood. The precious blood of Jesus doesn't just cover over sin. It removes sin from the sinner's life. It transforms the sinner. It makes him into a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. Pastor, are you saying that it's possible for a man to walk without sinning against God today? absolutely i'm saying that if you don't walk without sin you can't be saved now i know as soon as i say that you rise up in horror and say oh pastor i'm doing the best no you've got to die jesus said take up your cross deny yourself take up your cross and follow me where was he going he was going to golgotha he was going to be crucified paul said i am crucified with christ i am crucified with christ It is I no longer who live. It is Christ who lives in me. If Christ is not living in you, if the old nature is living in you and you are walking in sin, you are a lost man. You are a lost sinner. You can't be saved in that condition. And you're going to have to give up your sentimental love affair with your sin and you're going to have to die And you're going to have to come out of the world and you're going to have to be separate from the wickedness of this world and you're going to have to be sold out to Jesus and Jesus alone. Now there, I've said it. What are you going to do with it? You either have to cast it off as foolishness or you have to begin to search the scriptures and say, is this pastor right? I pray that you will begin to search the Scriptures and say, is this pastor correct? He says, true justifying faith makes the soul aware of its lost condition. Yes. The soul that comes to the righteousness of Christ for refuge and understands that it's Christ's righteousness alone that is acceptable to God. Yes, that's true. It is not a mixture of both Christ's obedience and our attempts at obedience that justify us to God. He is absolutely right. Your obedience is worthless and full of sin. He's wrong. He's wrong. If it is Christ living in me, and I say that what Christ is doing in me is full of sin, then I am saying that Jesus Christ is full of sin. I can't do that then I must either cast out the words of the, of St. Paul, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless not I, but Christ lives in me. I must cast that away because Christ is not going to live in me and do things that are filled with sin. And the Reformed teachers want to say, even the very best thing you can do is full of sin. That is absolutely true before Christ. I have been made righteous by Jesus. But after I've been made righteous by Jesus, then Jesus lives in my life. It's not my life, it's Christ's life. He is in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is not in you, there is no hope of glory in you. Do you understand? If Christ is not your hope, there is no hope. And then the things Christ does in me are righteous things, not sinful things. You see, on one side is the foolishness of legalism and on the other side is another foolish legalism that is much more sophisticated and much more daunting to understand. And can I be frank with you? Some of you don't, don't really care about anything I'm saying. All you care about is going to church and shouting and spitting and singing and you believe that God is right there in the midst of your show, and you want to be able to have a rollicking good time dancing and, and jerking in the Spirit, do you know what John Wesley said jerking in the Spirit was? John Wesley said that when you begin to jerk in the Spirit, it's because you are resisting the Holy Spirit, and an evil spirit is resisting the Holy Spirit, and you are a lost person. That's what John Wesley says. He was always concerned when he saw someone begin to jerk in a service. And it was very common in Wesley's ministry for people to begin to jerk and go through all kinds of contortions. The women used to begin to swing their heads so hard their hair would come loose and they had long hair, and they called it whipping because their hair would whip back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, Wesley said, this is just a demonstration of an evil spirit resisting the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit comes, there is peace. So some of you want to see gold dust falling from the ceiling. Look, that's something Baal does. That's not something the Holy Spirit does. If you see gold dust falling from the ceiling, run from that place, because it is a haunt of demons. If you see everybody jerking and going through contortions, know that there is a whole group of people who are refusing to accept the holiness of God and they are, they are filled with an evil spirit that is fighting against God's spirit. So some of you think when you go and jerk in church and you go and laugh and dance and clap, you think that's what church is about. It's not. That's not what righteousness is. That's not what Jesus is about. And many of you who are charismatic and Pentecostals are utterly deceived. Now, I say that because I am a Spirit-filled Christian. I do speak in tongues in private. Only if there's an interpreter would I speak in public in tongues. But I pray in tongues. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. So I'm not coming against Charismatic and Pentecostal in terms of holiness. I go back to Isuzu Street where Pentecostalism really was birthed. And dear Elder Seymour and the others who stood so valiantly together in that great revival that founded Pentecostalism all believed in entire sanctification. They believed that a man did not walk in sin before God or he was lost. That's what Isuzu Street... Preached. I've gone back and read all of the newsletters of Azuzu Street. I have copies of all those newsletters that were published then. There is no question, historically speaking, Pentecostalism came out of the belief that a man was entirely sanctified before the gifting of the Holy Spirit could come that a man had to walk righteous before God without any known sin in his life, no known rebellion against God in his heart, or the Holy Spirit could not come to him. So when you see a false revival with a man covered with tattoos saying, oh, I can have tattoos, this is God's revival. And then he's having an affair with his secretary, and the so-called apostles of the church... Dr. Wagner from Colorado Springs comes with his men and they lay hands on this wicked man and they anoint him and say he is a true prophet of God. What foolishness is this? What wickedness is this? What shame does this bring to the true apostle of Christ? And then you hear others who are teaching that by the covenants of God you can gain wealth. Just practicing witchcraft, walking in wickedness before God, lusting after the things of this earth. Please hear my heart today. I want Jesus. And I want you to want Jesus. And I want you to come to terms with the real condition of your spiritual life before God. I want you to walk in the joy and the peace and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Christ is dwelling within you and that you have been made righteous by Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus. I want to share a passage of scripture with you. If you look at Hebrews, the ninth chapter, I'll begin with verse 26. Hebrews 9, verse 26. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now, but now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus did not die on Calvary's tree to simply offer you forgiveness for your sins. He literally died on Calvary's tree to do away, to destroy. If you look at the original in the Greek, it is to destroy sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, let's be clear about what he's saying. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying to us that Jesus died on Calvary to destroy, to take away all sin. When he comes again, he is not coming to lift up the sin. To bear sin literally means to separate from there's some of you who believe that when you die, you'll be separated from your sin. The writer of the book of, Ap- of, of Hebrews says, no, death is not the time when sin is lifted from your life. Sin is lifted from your life when you accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood. It destroys all sin in your life. It makes you righteous. If you are waiting until you die to have Jesus lift the sin from your life, you will not have it lifted from your heart and you will be cast into hell. Now, I don't know if that startles you, but it startles me. I recognize today that many of you have believed that you were saved and that now you struggle with sin all the rest of your life. It's simply not true. And if the besetting sins of your life continue, you will not be saved because when Jesus comes, he will not be lifting that sin off your life. He will be casting you into hell. When he comes, he is only coming to redeem those who are righteous, who have been made righteous, not by their own efforts. They've been circumcised in their hearts, Scripture tells us. Their hearts have been circumcised. They've been made clean. They no longer are children of the devil. They are children of God. And the righteous things you do now are are not your actions of righteousness. They are the righteous things that Jesus Christ is doing through your life. So where are you in this process? We have time for maybe one or two very quick calls. I'm going to give you the phone number. It's 877-534-0780. That's 877 877- 5340780 are you one who has been deceived through the years believing that you had to struggle all the rest of your life for over your sin can you hear the good news today that you no longer need to struggle the rest of your life you simply need to be crucified with Christ fully and completely and Jesus Christ will remove that sin that addiction that whatever it is he will remove it from your heart and your life and he will set you free That's the gospel of Jesus. Now, some of you, I know in the spirit, are having a very hard time with what I'm saying. It means truly coming, honestly coming, and no longer making any excuses for the condition of our lives. It means finally recognizing that I am responsible. What is your condition before God today? Have you been crucified with Christ? Or do you continue to live with a sentimental brushing on of a sentimental Jesus? And then you struggle the rest of your life. Can I be very frank with you? I'm not willing to struggle the rest of my life. I want the full and total victory and I have been granted that in the name of Jesus. Sin by its very nature na- by its very nature is volitional. It is voluntary. You don't fall into sin, you jump into sin. You choose to rebel against God and to resist the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not willing to do that anymore. Now, just while I'm waiting for calls, a very quick update. $560 has been given so far this month toward December radio. Some of you have said, Pastor, how are you held accountable for for the money that is given? If the radio broadcast is not paid for, I won't be on the radio so you know I'm accountable. All the funds that you give are deposited in the radio account at the National Prayer Chapel, and those funds are dedicated and go directly to pay for radio. So that's the accountability. It is real accountability, not a false accountability. We have a caller. Let's go to her. Hi, welcome.
1: Thank you pastor Ray this is sister Gwen good afternoon to you um based off what the the lord is speaking through you it is so so necessary in this day and time there's a song that says what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus the great physician has spoken through you today. There are many souls that are sick, and they are sick because they have been deceived by a message that did not come from the bread of life. And Jesus is that bread of life. But he has spoken through you today. is very clear very explicit. My four-year-old grandson can understand it. And if anybody cannot understand what the great physician has spoken through you today, it's simply because they are not hungry for the truth. So I'm thankful for what the Lord has spoken through you today. And everyone that's listening, if they want to know the truth, they have heard it today. That's all
2: I have to say. Sister Gwen, what you're saying... You know I'm in agreement with you, and what makes this so very, very difficult... Is your radio on? You want me turn it,
1: all yeah. on down? You turn it on? Yeah, would you turn it off? Yeah. Okay.
2: What, what makes it so very difficult is that many have been taught this year after year after year, and they've believed these lies, and so now the first time or second time they hear this, they say, how is this possible? And then the church is full of this entertainment stuff, this foolishness. Yes. And this belief that jerking is from the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. And and it's simply not from the Holy Spirit. And you can continue to walk now in this spirit that comes and walk in your sin and believe sentimentally that you're saved. And their preachers are telling them that this is so
1: watched Jim Jones for the first time. It came on uh, to, I believe, Sunday night. I, I I was just speechless. I was speechless. You know, and I was saying to myself as I was watching that show, I you know, I said, those people, even if they did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who will uh, give you the truth, it takes only a brain, only a brain not to f- have followed somebody as sick as this man is, and when the movie was over, I thought to myself, you know, the spirit of Jim Jones is still in the world today, because if you do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you do not believe that you need to be born again and filled with his spirit, there is nothing but two, uh, there are nothing but two spirits in the world, the spirit of jesus and the spirit of the enemy if you don't follow jesus you're following the enemy so regardless all the you know you you can feel jesus jesus just makes you feel clean he just makes you feel loved he just, it's just, I can't think of no other word but just clean. So, like you said, the, this jerking and and, and, and spinning the hair around, it reminds me, Lord, forgive me of the movie The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> that is too strong, but it's the truth. Yes. So, you know, the, the, the great physician has spoken through you today. And when the physician shows up, he shows up because you're sick.
2: Hey, Sister Gwen,
1: you know, that's the only purpose.
2: I want you to pray for those who are struggling with this, would you?
1: Yes. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, just as I have had many medical procedures done, when I walked into that surgery room, I had no knowledge of the equipment, no knowledge of what was taking place on the inside of me, but I, I, because of faith in the doctor— faith in Jesus Christ, faith that he will allow them to use the tools that they should use to correct my medical problem. Father, I pray for those that are hearing the great physician today that has spoken through my brother. You are speaking because souls are sick. They are sick, and they are walking into many church fellowships, and they have whether it be a man or female standing there. They've never been in that room, just like I've never been in a surgery room. I have no clue. I'm ignorant of what's being done, but I have faith that Jesus Christ is God in this urgent hand. Oh, Father, I pray for those that are listening today that they will listen. The great physician has spoken today to your sin-sick soul. He has spoken. You can be saved today. You can know the love of Jesus today. You can, be, you can be rescued. You need to be rescued. Jesus loves you. And I pray today that you don't rebel or, or turn your heart cold against what Jesus has spoken today. It was not Pastor Ray. It was Jesus. He loves you. Let these words sink deep down into your heart, cut you, and then put you back together. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.
2: Thank you, my sister. God bless you.
1: God bless you.
2: We're almost out of time. I want to pray with you as well, but first I'm going to give you our address. The National Prayer Chapel address is Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I want to thank many of you who've been giving, but we're far from our goal. So would you please as the Holy Spirit quickens you, send tithes and offerings, that this broadcast could stay on the air. It's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you're also welcome to come and worship together with us. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. It's located in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, two two one nine two. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. prayerchapel dot com. That's nationalprayerchapel one word dot com, and you'll find directions and times for meeting. We meet every Sunday at twelve noon and every Tuesday night, and we'll be meeting tonight. Now let me pray, Almighty God. I cry aloud to you, Jesus, Son of the living God. I've been faithful to speak your word. Now would you let this seed bear fruit of conversion and change and conviction as men and women are finally willing to deal honestly with their spiritual condition and turn aside from that which is false and come to you and be made righteous. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.